Happy Anniversary, Radio Justice. I'm Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call at radiojustice.org. 24 years ago, California voters passed Proposition 209, banning affirmative action and admission to public universities, inspiring similar changes in nearly a dozen states. This November, equity and diversity are again on the ballot in California as Proposition 16, at a time of growing protests over racial injustice. Today on Conversation Peace, hear current University of California students and alumni discuss why Prop 16 is good for California. This town hall was hosted by Michelle Johnson, president of UCLA Black Alumni Association, Bobby Grace of the LA County DA's office, and Manla Kaise, New World Education Consultant. Some of the speakers are California State Assembly Member Sydney Comliger, University Administrator Yolanda Copeland Morgan, UCLA alum and Oakland business owner Shonda Scott, UC Riverside alum and businesswoman Kiona Henderson, and current UCLA student body president Naomi Riley. Welcome to Conversation Peace. Uh, we are going to get started. We're going to go right into it. Uh, and I'm going to um, pose some questions to Kiona uh, Henderson from the University of California, Riverside. Have you thought about how uh, Prop 16 um, can uh, help to um, elevate and to push forward women, all women in the state of California? We, we know we talk a lot about um, it with respect to admissions and, and education. And um, we're gonna talk about that a lot tonight, but uh, I want you to talk about it uh, from your perspective of, of a, a young woman in business. How could Prop 16 help people, um, women in particular, um, take a, a forward uh, step in, in business with respect to California? Absolutely. In California, women and minority-owned businesses are generally less financially stable. That's just the truth of the matter. We're often bootstrapping it. You know, we have a little bit of money in our savings. We're taking some money from our checking account to start our business. Not many of us have, you know, that initial nest egg or funding. We're looking for funding. And therefore, we struggle to compete in the marketplace. In California, if California joined the 42 other states that are allowing communities of color, women of color to have preference in college admissions, government hiring and the awarding of government contracts, that would, that would allow for real equality, progress. Uh, women and people of color are competing for equal footing in jobs, promotions, contracts in states. And um, California is not currently one of the states, which is why Proposition 16 is so important. More money means more access, more resources, more power. Without affirmative action, small businesses like my own in California, owned by women and people of color, lose out on bigger, wealthier com lose out to I'm sorry, bigger and wealthier companies for these government contracts. Um, I've experienced that personally. I fit into both of those categories. I'm a black woman and I'm a small business owner. Proposition 16 would level the playing field. It would allow for minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, to have a chance at big contracts many of which um, currently go to companies and like subcontractors who've been doing business with each other for years. And they don't wanna change it. They're gonna continue to do it. They don't wanna let anyone else in. They don't wanna sub subcontract to minorities. 
women and people of color would have a fair shot to succeed in business, to secure more government contracts, expand the type of business that we do and the clients we serve. That's excellent. Proposition 16 has a, a long history uh, where uh, California has been uh, involved in a battle over affirmative action since the uh, early 1990s, uh, which culminated in a, another proposition uh, that was uh, well fought, well discussed, and uh, uh, universally uh, hated and, and universally uh, um, combated by uh, people of color in the state of California. Uh, and we're fortunate to have somebody who was on the front lines uh, during that time period in the 1990s uh, fighting the battle against Proposition 209 and has a great historical perspective and story to tell about uh, how we got from 209 to uh, possibly passing uh, Prop 16 here in 2020. Um, let me introduce to you uh, Mandla Kaese. Uh, Mandla is, uh, again, the uh, president of um, New World Education, and uh, he was an activist as a student, and he's continued uh, in community engagement uh, since he left uh, UCLA as an administrator. And uh, we are very fortunate to have with us this evening to talk about the historical perspective. Uh, welcome, Marla. Thanks, Bobby. Uh, yeah, I just want to, uh, you know, uh, correct a little bit. I, I really would not describe myself as having been uh, on the front lines of the fight against 209 at that time. Uh, I was an advisor uh, to student leaders at uh, UCLA at the time, and they definitely deserve all of the credit. You know, the students throughout the UC system really led the fight to uh, resist uh, the passage of 209. And uh, it should be noted that uh, 209 was a part of a wave of prop propositions that were decidedly um, uh, orchestrated to roll back the gains of the civil rights movement and to really um, put into place some of the measures that were, were, were seen uh, resisted on, on the ballot in other areas uh, this, this, this fall. Uh, the, the whole move to uh, de-incarcerate the state of California was was largely um, a part of that wave uh, with uh, the passage of the three strikes law in California, which was a contemporary uh, proposition along with Proposition 209, uh, as well as uh, the English only law, the anti-immigrant uh, measure, Proposition 187. Yes, three strikes, 187, as Dwayne Davis is, is, is uh, chiming in. Uh, and also um, a, 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 a preceding um, measure, Prop 13, which uh, defunded uh, our public schools. And there's a measure on the ballot 15 that's attempting to restore some of that funding. So we really are, uh, the way I like to describe it is we're in a battle for the heart and soul of California, folks. That, that's really what this is. And Proposition 16 is right in the middle of it because affirmative action is right in the middle of it. And affirmative action, uh, if we look at it in its political context, uh, being a part of uh, such a, an orchestrated uh, string of measures um, it, it did more than end affirmative action in the state of California. If you really look at what happened uh, socially and culturally in California, it really became uh, kind of popular to assume that we were in a post-racial period. 
and California kind of led in that thinking with the passage of 209. That's the whole logic that was behind 209 is that, that racism no longer exists. Uh, inequality doesn't exist. Uh, people need to take personal responsibility. Uh, that that and, and now that we are uh, re uh, introducing ourselves to to the existence of systemic racism, I think it's very appropriate that we would revisit 209 now and try to uh, restore affirmative action as one of the few tools we've ever had to actually do something about systemic racism. You know, there's all kinds of proposals and demands being placed on the table in front of corporations and education institutions. Well, these uh, proposals are calling for things that could be happening. Uh, much more easily where they're not a ban on affirmative action in the state of California. So even if you look at the city of Los Angeles's uh, equity initiative, you know, uh, Mayor Garcetti has been upfront in saying that if Proposition 16 is to pass, he will be able to more fully and aggressively implement his equity plan. And so what that says is, is without Prop 16 uh, passing, there will be some barriers or some obstacles to fully implementing these equity plans. And so we've seen that uh, even in our efforts at UCLA. But uh, I want to also uh, point out for us, since we are a UC Black alumni, uh, that there is a very, um, there, there's a very, we're central to this story as well. And part of the reason is because uh, the Proposition 209 was born in the UC system. You know, that's just a fact that we have to face. Uh, the UC system was the first to ban affirmative action before Prop 209 passed uh, with SP 1 and 2, which was passed by the regents, uh, orchestrated by then Governor Pete Wilson, who installed uh, a handpicked unknown African-American regent uh, to, lead, to, to be the champion of that campaign. Uh, once it passed, uh, the regents and, and affirmative action was banned in the UC system. They went statewide with it, and the same individual who was the face of SP 1 and 2, which ended affirmative action in the UC system became the face of Proposition 209 as it went statewide. And it's no uh, surprise that that individual yes. and, and other UC uh, uh, faculty are continue to be the major uh, opponents uh, or of, of Proposition 16. They continue to be the, the primary defenders of Proposition 209. And they have uh, spoken out in opposition to virtually every single measure the UC system has taken to uh, restore diversity uh, within the system. Uh, whether it's holistic admissions, they've, they've launched lawsuits and attacks and reviews on holistic admissions. Uh, every, every, any, any sign that there is the slightest increase in black admissions in the UC system uh, is a signal to these folks that uh, we are breaking the law and violating Proposition 209. And, and the ban on affirmative action. So we have a responsibility, I think, as UC Black alumni to ensure that our university system uh, takes the lead in correcting its own error. You know, Proposition 209, bans on affirmative action that were exported out of California to nine other states across the United States. Uh, these are all our uh, uh, shameful gifts to the state of California and to the rest of the country. It was born here. We have to correct that here and we have to correct that now. Uh, Proposition 16 gives us the, a unique opportunity to do that. We haven't had this opportunity. And I'm talking about an endless battle 
it's students, staff, faculty, uh, uh, business uh, uh, concerns, black business concerns, black nonprofit organizations, black education advocacy groups. There has been an unending challenge to Proposition 209, virtually unending from 1998 when it first passed and the students took over campuses throughout the UC system uh, to 2001 when students organized and su successfully uh, uh, fought for the repeal of SP 1 and 2. Uh, in 2006, we had our Reclaiming Our Universities campaign, which established uh, holistic admissions in the, in the UC system and was able to, to allow us to recoup some of our losses uh, from Proposition 209. Uh, in 2011, there was a repeal 209 campaign. Uh, in 2013, folks took it to the Supreme Court. There was a Supreme Court case that attempted to overturn Proposition 209. And of course, we know at UCLA about uh, the viral uh, uh, video campaign of, of Cy Stokes uh, and uh, the young men who uh, exposed uh, the, uh, the uh, lack of black male presence on, on UC campuses and uh, UCLA specifically. So there's been an unending uh, uh, battle and, and this is a, a seminal moment in that battle, an opportunity for us to, number one, I think restore what is an otherwise progressive uh, a reputation for the state of California. Our state has a terrible smear, a shameful uh, uh, badge of dishonor that it's wearing as being the birthplace of these anti-affirmative action, anti-civil rights, anti-equal rights measures. We've got to correct that. Our UC system has that same shameful badge of dishonor as the birthplace of Proposition 209. We've got to correct that. It is not, it is not okay to walk around you know, with a UC alumni uh, uh, label behind your name, while this proposition, which was born in our system, continues to be state law, uh, blocking opportunities for Black folks throughout the state, and really in many ways, being one of the engines of the exodus of Black folks out of the state of California. We, we all know that California was once you know, considered, you know, a, a book was written about it, you know, seeking El Dorado, you know, the goal, the place of gold, go to California. My mom was a part of that. We moved here from Chicago. Uh, opportunities are in Chicago, are, are in California for black folks. And we took advantage of that. And now that situation has reversed where people are actually exiting California, exiting the so-called gold coast, you know, our beaches. So we, we've got to We've got to do something about this, people. There are not enough of us on this virtual town hall right now. We are not here, I would suggest to you as participants, we are here as activists. Every single person who's on this town hall right now, you must amplify your attendance here tenfold. Tenfold at, at minimum uh, is, is the number of votes that your presence here tonight uh, should generate in support of Proposition 16. And I'll, I'll stop there because I know I've said enough and I've probably gone over my time. And, uh, and I'll, I'll turn the soapbox over to others. We're going to go now kind of to the bookend of, of Monla's presentation and talk to um, Naomi Riley, who's the current student body president at UCLA. Your generation knows nothing of affirmative action, um, yet uh, there have been protests on the UCLA campus, other UC campuses. Why do current students care about Prop 16 and, and what application does it have for you uh, as current students and students that are following you now? Yeah, so um, I think that this is a really important question and I think that um, I can really touch on my experiences as a Black student on UCLA's campus to kind of answer those. 
Um, and I think that when I reflect on what it means to be a black student at UCLA, it means to be one of less than 5% of black students on campus. It also means that, you know, myself as a political science major, um, you know, it's hard for me to really connect with professors, um, resonate with professors that don't look like me. It's hard for me to be in class when there's only like two or three of us in the class. Um, and, you know, for me, that has meant that I find refuge in my Chicano studies classes and my African American studies classes, not only because I actually care about the material that's being taught in those classrooms, but also because the people around me can relate to me on another level. The professors um, can relate to me on another level. And really, um, what this really comes down to and, and what a lot of my peers really talk about is that we just feel like we don't belong. Um, despite the efforts that UCLA makes to try to create an inclusive environment, we still feel as though our presence isn't valued on campus. Um, at times I've heard students and you know friends of mine talk about feelings of imposter syndrome or feeling like their acceptance or even their presence um, was a mistake. And you know, a lot of that comes from the fact that many of us went to poor um, under-resourced schools. Like Mondal had alluded to, Prop 13 um, meant that a lot of our schools, especially um, schools in the LAUSD area, weren't receiving funding. Um, many of us had one counselor per high school. Um, so we are coming from systems that are severely under-resourced and you know, race plays a factor in that. I think that there was a movement to try to act like race didn't matter or as if race wasn't affecting um, our lived experiences on the ground, but it, it really was, you know, in addition to uh, socioeconomic status, in addition to, um, you know, our parents' immigration status or, you know, you name it, but race was one of those factors. So, um, when we apply to schools like UCLA and, and um, we have to check off those boxes and, and we have to um, you know, tell our stories, race is a part of our story, yet it, it's not allowed to be a factor that's you know, taken into consideration. And you know, what that means for a lot of our students on campus, uh, we often feel like we don't want those that come after us to feel those same feelings. Um, and we don't want our peers to feel, to feel those same feelings. So we get involved in our communities. Um, like Mondal had also spoke about too, after SP 1 and 2 um, and Prop 209, the Mother Organization Coalition on our campus formed the Student Initiated Access Committee, which was, you know, an effort that was student initiated, student run, student funded by student fees. Um, that was really to target K through 12 systems in our communities and bring resources to those students. And while those programs are great, while I love SHAPE, um, I love ASP, I love the work that um, our, our programs do, they are really meant to fill in the gaps of what the larger state should be doing. Um, the larger state should be recognizing that race is a factor, and yet it doesn't. So, you know, us as students have to host conferences like the Higher Education Conference for our Black students. Um, we have to get involved in SHAPE. Uh, I've known many students that get involved in VIPs. Um, and, you know, it, it's really time that we recognize that systemic racism really exists. So I say all that to say that um, it's actually really interesting. I took an affirmative action class this past uh, winter quarter, actually before the pandemic hit. Um, and we really talked about how affirmative action is about leveling the playing field. 
Um, Leona said it earlier, but contrary to what conservatives might say, it's not about being given a handout. It's about equity. It's about, you know, righting the wrongs um, of history. You know, if we listen to what scholars like Cheryl Harris, Cedric Robinson, Robin Kelly, um, Du Bois, and the list goes on, if we listen to those scholars, then we understand that race has material consequences. Um, you know, your lived experiences as a low-income Black student is very different from your lived experience as a low-income white student, and that's the reality. So, yeah, um, you know, the UC has tried for over 25 years to um, be more inclusive by including socioeconomic status, but um, we can see and we can look at the numbers. The numbers tell a different story. Um, it has not worked. Uh, while we get closer, while we try to inch back, ultimately we can't ignore that race and income are intimately correlated. Um, and we definitely can't ignore that uh, something like Prop 16 is really necessary. I wanna ask you a, a follow-up question. More recently than any of us, you just came out of uh, K through 12 education. Um, how could uh, the passage of uh, Prop 16 help to, uh, as you say, level the playing field for uh, students of color who are attending uh, K through 12 in California right now? Right. Um, I would say that, you know, one of the ways that that can really, that Prop 16 can really aid in those efforts is um, being able to do targeted outreach. Um, one example that I've seen a lot on the internet is just um, conversations about how, you know, women are severely underrepresented in like the STEM field. Um, and, you know, if we were to allow Prop 16 to pass, then it allows, um, you know, departments to do that targeted outreach to make sure that women understand that they too have a place in these spaces. Um, you know, it means that we have uh, the ability, like I had mentioned earlier, I went to a high school uh, was never outreached to by UCLA. And, and, and while it's quite unfortunate, it's the reality for a lot of students. Um, there isn't targeted outreach in our area. And I was a high achieving student um, and only applied to UCLA uh, because, you know, my cousin had told me to apply. Had it not been for my cousin, you know, I don't even think I would be here. So I really do think it's important that um, we pour resources back into our communities. And like Mondla said, this is what this election is about. Um, I've heard students that talk about uh, how they don't wanna vote this year and they feel very discouraged, but the propositions that are on the ballot this year have the ability to change our lives on the ground. Um, they have the ability to, so that we can feel, you know, the impacts and so that our students, our kids, you know, the kids that we have in the future can feel those impacts. So. Um, yeah. Thank you, Naomi. Um, we're gonna gonna move to our, our next panelist, Yolanda Copeland Morgan, who is the vice provost of UCLA, and she is uh, in charge of uh, part of her portfolio includes uh, admissions um, at UCLA, recruitment uh, at UCLA, and she has a powerful message uh, for us about how Prop 16 is going to. Uh, possibly affect uh, the University of California, Cal State, uh, and education as a whole in California if we're uh, fortunate to pass Prop 16. Um, um, thank you for joining us, Vice Provost. Thank you so much, Bobby, and thanks for all to all of you for, for joining. Uh, this proposition really is critical because, well, number one, 
it reflects a broad-based coalition to overturn uh, the ban on affirmative action in California. This is not, uh, as public perception would have it, about uh, giving preference to anyone, um, especially to African Americans. This is about uh, supporting our belief uh, in the in public institution, but I want to speak specifically for the University of California, that the best admissions process is a holistic admissions process. That means that we look at a student's achievements in the context of the educational opportunities available to them and in the context of who they are and the lived experiences that they have. And I think all rational people would agree that it would be tough to talk about my lived experiences without talking about two very basic characteristics of who I am as an individual. One is I am black. That is critical to your understanding of who I am as an individual. When I say I am a woman, that helps you to understand. When I say that I am first generation or I come from a working class neighborhood. And so this notion that we are looking at students holistically and judging them on how well they have taken advantage of educational opportunities available to them without being able to look at two major aspects of who they are limits our ability to put into action in the admissions process the research that we know um, is a part of lived experiences for students who come from various disadvantaged backgrounds. You know, I remember, um, um, I'm old enough to remember this whole battle. I was in independent colleges at the time uh, where we've always used uh, the characteristics of students in admissions and holistic admissions. And I remember when Ward Connolly said, well, the notion of affirmative action is outdated um, and um, we've passed that. I would submit to you until racism becomes outdated, until anti-bias becomes uh, outdated, uh, there is no such thing as affirmative action being outdated. And I, and I say affirmative action because it's about what we are trying to do, affirmative, affirmatively address the racism, the barriers, the unequal uh, educational opportunities that students of color and often women, particularly in certain majors like in science, face. And so it is critically important that we in our philosophy of looking at students holistically, meaning looking at every element of their lives that affect the educational opportunities they have, that we have the ability to look at their lived experiences and to draw on what we know about uh, Latinx and Chicanx students and uh, our native brothers and sisters, our African-American brothers and sisters, as soon as you give me that characteristic, that very important part of their identity, then I, as an admissions professional, began to understand that it is likely based upon the research that that student may have been the only minority student in a calculus class, or rarely do we see underrepresented students have an opportunity to get into multivariable calculus or to take science, or we know the discrimination against uh, women. So this is critically important. And the effects that Proposition 209 has had on the University of California, the Cal State systems, in our, in our hiring processes across the state, 
have been devastating. Keep in mind that Proposition 209 only passed uh, by less than a 5% margin. I believe it was like 54.5%, but less than 55% of the voters passed Proposition 209. That margin has been extremely costly to education as well as to uh, contracts for minority um, individuals. And, um, and, and if you look at the data just uh, in 1998, just shortly after, full year shortly after, uh, academic year after uh, 209 passed, Berkeley had, um, as I recall, one law school student who was Black um, in their class after 209. And the only reason the one was there is because she was admitted the year prior and deferred um, her admission until that year. So uh, those are drastic effects. And know that um, also, I just want to say that every court case since that time has affirmed the educational benefits of diversity. This is not about simply the student who is admitted to our colleges and universities, but in fact, all research shows the educational benefits of diversity is uh, massive in terms of producing leaders in this country who are sensitive to the diverse, diverse needs of society. And so everybody benefits from having um, students who are from diverse backgrounds in its, in its fullness in uh, the classroom. And so uh, with that, I would say, well, Gratz and Gruder, um, with as far back as uh, Gruder and Ber uh, Bollinger, with Sandra Day O'Connor said that, uh, uh, the use of race and gender in admissions was justified in every court case on affirmative action that the Supreme Court has taken up, um, even when the court was tilted toward a conservative majority of judges reaffirm the educational benefits of diversity. So California is in fact out of step with federal law. And as my colleague Mandela said earlier, um, we are a state that has led this nation in terms of um, uh, ensuring that all, all individuals benefit, not only in education, but in a lot of arenas. So California, hear me, is out of step with federal law, even when uh, conservatives held the majority on the court. Uh, these benefits have been affirmed. So we are asking for your support. While we have made uh, great progress on many of our University of California campuses in diversifying um, our campuses and bringing in more students from underrepresented backgrounds and uh, trying to recruit, recruit more women into the sciences, particularly the hard sciences, uh, we have failed in terms of the representation of minorities in our school systems. In, um, in California, 60% of 12th grade students are Black um, or uh, Latinx, Chicanx uh, students. And yet they only represent roughly 29% of the students uh, enrolled in the UC system today. So that is a huge gap. And uh, contrary to what people believe, these, 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 uh, the diversity of California and in fact, the diversity of our nation is not going to change. And so for our own benefit, 
repeal Proposition 209, pass Proposition 16, so that we uh, try and neutralize, if not um, erase, I do not believe it will fully erase, but we will respond to the racism, the discrimination, the prejudices, the biases that we all hold um, in, in some form or another as individuals. So again, thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you for uh, being a part of this fight. It is necessary. And again, all individuals will benefit from the repeal of Proposition 209 by passing Proposition 16. Thank you so much, uh, Yolanda Copeland Morgan. That was great. I'd like to, at this time, uh, if she's available to go on, is to introduce to you um, the California Assembly member, Sidney uh, uh, Kamliger um, of the 54th District um, in Los Angeles. Uh, she is uh, not a UC uh, grad. She, she comes from USC, <laughs> but, uh, but as she likes to say, she's, she's a, a, a UCLA friendly uh, person. A UCLA happens to be in her assembly district and we know her, we love her. Uh, she's uh, very pro-Bruin uh, along with uh, her ties to USC. So that's always a good thing. And uh, I know that she has some uh, good comments to make about Prop 16 from her perch uh, from the le legislative uh, view. Thank you, Bobby Grace. I'd like to call myself a Brogen since I went to USC and represent UCLA happily in the, um, the state assembly legislature. So good evening all. I'm really honored to be here with you all tonight. This organizing of our brothers and sisters who have graduated from UCs up and down the straight, up and down the state is powerful and it is beautiful to see. As was mentioned in the introduction, I am Sydney Kamlogger. I am the assemblywoman for the 54th State Assembly District, which covers Mid Wilshire, Mid City, Palms, Mar Vista, Century City, Baldwin Hills, all of Culver City, parts, parts of um, South LA and Inglewood, uh, and a community called Westwood, where I believe UCLA is housed. So let me first thank Naomi Riley and Yolanda Copeland Morgan, student body president and vice provost, respectively, at UCLA. Thank you for your leadership. As I'm sure you all have heard on this discussion, California is one of only nine states that bans affirmative action as a tool to fight discrimination. And Proposition 16 is our chance to change that by ending the ban. Removing this ban will allow communities of color needed preference over a variety of critical areas of lift, including awarding of government contracts, government hiring, and admissions into our public universities. So for those of you entrepreneurs who have struggled with procuring government contracts, this is a critical ballot initiative. For those of you who have tried to get hired or have tried to help someone else get hired into a government position, this is a critical initiative. And of course, college admissions at our public institutions would achieve greater parity and allow women black and brown people better access to higher education, which we know is a critical key in breaking the cycle of poverty by way of significantly higher career earnings. So according to sources, California leads the nation in the percentage of impoverished families with an extreme concentration among blacks and Latinos. 
this is totally unnecessary and it is also avoidable. The legislature this year passed um, ACA 5, which has turned into Proposition 16, placed it on the ballot after some very tense negotiations and fights during the course of last year and this year to let you, as part of the electorate, decide if we should repeal Proposition 209, which was the original ballot measure that banned affirmative action. And we have to repeal it by a proposition because it was voted on as a proposition. So, you know, this summer I've been doing lots of new things, but I've also been listening to I Can't Breathe by her. And uh, there are a number of verses in that song that speak to me, but it's important that we are very clear. We are not a colorblind society. We see race, we see class, we see ethnicity, we see gender. And we should. In her song, she says, when you see us, see us. And that is what Proposition 16 acknowledges, that we need to be seen. And that for far too long, for generations, in fact, we have been pushed to the sides. We have been disenfranchised and marginalized because of exactly who we are. Because of Proposition 209, our communities have lost billions of dollars in revenue, in access, and in generational wealth. I <clears throat> like to talk about economics when I engage in discussions around social issues because it is central to so many of the decisions that I have to make as a policymaker. And I wanna share with you all some numbers as a result of what has happened because of Prop 209. The state spent $13.2 billion on contracts with private companies. Los Angeles City spent $4 billion last year on contracts with private companies. Metro has spent $2 billion in contracts with private companies. The Los Angeles airport has a $9 billion budget to go towards its renovations, pushing most of that money towards private companies who are doing the work. LA Department of Public Works spent $290 million in business with private companies. And the UC system has $12 billion in goods and services contracts. Pre-Prop 209, 10% of that went to black, brown, and women-owned businesses. Post-209, that number dropped to 2.8%. So when you think about contracts with the ports, with the prisons, with our courthouses, with our schools, with our libraries, with our police, with our fire stations, fixing our sidewalks, fixing our lights, fixing our sewage, and building our rail lines, from building them to procuring supplies for them to maintaining them. You should be thinking about Prop 16 because those dollars as a result of Prop 209 have been flowing to all kinds of businesses except ours. This is about money and it is about access and it is about equity. And to suggest that now we become colorblind is foolish because we never have been. When we were lynched, when we were denied the right to vote, when we were redlined out of communities, when we were excluded from jobs, when we were excluded from schools, you better believe it was because of our race. So when you see us, see us. The killing of George Floyd and so many other brothers have reminded us of how black men 
are often mistreated and sometimes die at the hands of police officers. The COVID-19 pandemic has painfully exposed systemic dysfunctions that overwhelmingly impact people of color. How we learn, how we are incarcerated, how we get healthcare, how we get business stimulus, how we survive have all been discussions during this summer. And the realities are really unconscionable. As a science economics reveals, more wholly essential truths for consideration. And through this lens, it is clear to me that the recession that followed COVID reminds us yet again about the family income gap between white Americans and most people of color. In 2016, the average net worth of a black family was $17,000. For the average white American, it was 171,000. As we look at educating our young scholars, 77% of California public schools students are students of color. 67% of the teachers teaching them are white. Businesses owned by women and people of color have lost $1.1 billion annually in government contracts. 90% of black businesses did not qualify for the payroll protection funds. And single digits are the admissions numbers for African-Americans in our public universities, for students, for faculty, for staff. Need I say more? We have to be clear that as a black community, we remain under attack in America. And there is something that we can do this election cycle, and that is to support Proposition 16. We can steer California back towards quality schools and schooling, good jobs and career paths and entrepreneurial endeavors that can truly support a living wage. It's important that I say this again, be clear that supporting the passage of Proposition 16 is a vote for fighting discrimination because Proposition 16 is a tool to begin to, begin to dismantle structural racism and sexism. It is a vote for equal opportunities for all because Proposition 16 offers a path to fair treatment. And it is a vote for leveling the playing field. Proposition 16 will give women and people of color a fair shot to succeed. Before I came to the legislature, I served on the board for the Los Angeles Community College District. We had a budget of $6 billion and $3 billion of it was for the operations of our schools and $3 billion of it was for the construction of our facilities, construction and renovation. And we had the darndest time as president of, as chair of the budget and finance committee, I had the darndest time of trying to find ways to support our businesses that were owned by women and people of color through our procurement processes because of Prop 209. And I saw money fly out the window going to good old boys companies who were able to negotiate and continue to get this money, these procurement contracts. And I said to myself, if there is a way to undo this, count me in, count me in, count me in. And Proposition 16 is that way. 
I want to thank you for this time. I always enjoy coming to talk to my UCLA friends and, and those of you who have um, gone through our UC system, which is an amazing enterprise that deserves to be accessible to everyone. We deserve to hear stories of success and celebration, not stories of isolation and trauma and sadness. We deserve to be able to go back to a place where we can welcome and uphold the master plan for education that this state designed years ago that has fallen flat on the heads of black and brown students. And so if you can stay on, yes. uh, we yes. greatly appreciate it. Um, so Shonda Scott is um, our, our representative from the Bay Area. She's the founder and CEO of 360 Total concept project management uh, and a longtime uh, business owner in Oakland. She has the distinction of being a 2018 inductee into the Alameda County Women's Hall of Fame. Uh, and so she knows uh, the Bay Area. She knows business uh, in the Bay Area. And although she's a UCLA uh, alum, uh, we're gonna be leaning on her all things um, Bay Area um, this evening. Um, so Shauna, we're going to jump right into it and I'm going to talk to you a little bit or ask you a question about um, business uh, in the Bay Area and how could um, Black and other business owners of color benefit from the passage of Prop 16 from your perspective as a longtime business owner. Okay, th thank you, Bobby. And um... Thank you, Honorable Assemblywoman. It was your words were right on time and you're right, so accurate, even with the, the data you provided. The company is 360 Total Concept, founded it 14 years ago. I'm a fourth generation business owner. Um, we go back to the 1920s as business as a company. I'm the second generation in Oakland, but my uh, business is 360 Total Concept. It's, pro it's a program management, management consulting firm. We do work in the Bay Area, but we do work nationally. We've actually done work with LA Metro. We're currently even doing work with LA Metro and Washington DC for federal and local agencies. We also work with Uber and um, BET, Comcast, Kaiser. So we, you know, our list is vast and eclectic. And we are always on mega projects in the space of equity, inclusion, contract compliance, and community engagement. And I always say that even if we're working locally or nationally, community is always the common denominator in the work that we do. And we're always, even in the midst of post 209 passing, working for the ability for small minority women-owned and, and um, disadvantaged businesses to work on these mega projects, which most of us as property owners, as residents are voting on, funding, and then excluded from. So our work is all about inclusion and equity and diversity. Um, even if we're doing program management type services, my commitment to the community and to our uh, to our community locally and our community just as a culture is about um, diversity and inclusion. The, uh, I remember pre-209 and there were opportunities then for minority-owned, Black-owned businesses based on the fact if there were, and women-owned businesses, if there were disparities and they could see that there were disparities and we all know the playing field has not been equal and never has been equal in the United States of America for us, uh, 
because we started off um, five, six generations behind with just 400 years of um, slavery. So if it's not equal, and it hasn't been, and even when pre-209, 10% of 100 is still a small amount. And we were trying to, they were trying to gain ground then. 209 just dismantled that. Uh, my company was part of a disparity study that was regional for the Bay Area, and it's reflective of all of California, really, um, that looked at the impact that 209 had on businesses, minority-owned and women-owned businesses. And it's the single most thing beyond the recession that destroyed these businesses, especially businesses owned by people of color. Um, so that, that piece of 209 and, and the history of it is, uh, has been catastrophic to our community. And the thing I always like to quote now that many studies have come out, like in, uh, in 2019, McKinsey just reported that the success of black businesses is paramount to the success of America. The more we succeed, the more money that's in the economy for all of America. And I always say that there's no been no time and place in the history of America that black businesses have thrived and everyone else has not thrived too. Like it's always, there's the civil rights, reconstruction, there's no time when we've succeeded and everyone else hasn't been able to come in and succeed and excel. They're also saying that the way that the racial wealth gap is right now, and if it keeps going by 2000, 2028, we will lose trillions of dollars, meaning we the US, because of the, ra the racial wealth gap between black businesses and white businesses. That if that is even slightly reduced, just slightly, that same number, the trillions are back into the community and back into the economy just by slightly reducing the wealth gap. And a program, and everyone's talking about equity, but the, the only way I'm gonna see that I can see us even coming to any place of any sort of equity is by the passing of yes on to on Prop 16. Because otherwise, legally, agencies have the right not to use race, not to use gender, even in the midst of disparities to say that they cannot, you know, set aside or create opportunities for these historically underserved businesses. But yes, actually brings that equity question, like someone was saying about Mayor Garcetti's program, it's clear at this, if you have equity policies now, a yes on 16 will accelerate that and make it real. Without that, there's still gonna be hurdles. There's gonna be some agencies that will figure out ways to try their best to be inclusive and have equity. But overall, legally, they'll have the right not to be, and we will continue on. And it will be at our own united demise, not just the historically disadvantaged, underutilized businesses and um, cultures that, that aren't being accepted into UCLA and campuses and aren't being get, receiving business opportunities because of Prop 209, the whole nation will, will be impacted by this. So yes on 16 creates opportunities and it allows for true equity to actually happen and not be just a nice word to say and something that sounds good. Literally, this would be the moment that everything could come together and it actually would work. And in our lifetime, we probably have never even seen these moments. I mean, the civil rights, most of us weren't around to know the civil rights movement. 
this is that movement for our lifetime. And our and my son and people his age have never seen anything like this because he my son was born in 1996. So any everything he's known has been post 209. And they know all we all know the playing field, like I said, wasn't equal before. And it definitely hasn't been equal since then and has gotten progressively worse. So some of the, um, well, most of the things that my family, my parents had fought for and were able to build one of the top African-American owned food services businesses in the country were based on these programs existing. And it only was an opportunity. It's not like their success was connected to the ability to have the opportunity. They still had to do the business. It just gave them opportunities to not have to compete with billion dollar corporations that have been around for hundreds of years with their you know, $50 million corporation or whatever it was at that time. It just creates opportunities to make it more equitable. And I always say, if we're talking equity, we're not talking equal. We're talking about giving someone who has less than us, more than us, so that they can be on the same level as us. That's what equity would really be about. And, and, and yes, on 16 allows for equity. And the part about equity that blows my mind to me is that the, the wealth disparity is so vast that Really, in our lifetimes, we won't see it equal to us, but we will see equitable where businesses in our communities can thrive and we can reinvest back in our community. And it's a more holistic and healthy environment. And people are what we saw when we were at UCLA on a trajectory to becoming you know, a successful nation and group. Well, right now, what we're seeing is just a dismantling of all that. And yes, on six is pretty much about just fairness and equity. And that, if anything else, if you can't think of it any other way, economically, it benefits everyone when it's a more equitable contracting opportunity, contracting society, and a more equitable world. So I'm, I'm here to do whatever I can to, to pass yes on 16, because this is really that moment. And if we don't pass it now, we're going to be so behind that I it'll be catastrophic, honestly. Thank you, Shonda. Those were powerful words. Um, so we're going to quickly go to, because um, kind of we're all kind of preaching to the choir with the audience that we have here. So the panel, I'm going to throw it to the panel and people can jump in and, and answer this question very quickly. What can we do now as uh, committed uh graduates of the UC system and some some SC folks thrown in the mix here what can we do to help pass prop 16 what what can we do what should we be doing to try to turn the tide here and, and get a, a victory for prop 16 um, to our panelists first and I'm we're watching and seeing things in the chat too uh, if you have questions but panelists if you can speak to you know what can we be doing right now to try to um, pull this one out, if you will. That I think that the biggest thing that you could be doing right now is talking to your friends and your family. It starts in the home, it starts in your communities, and I think that that's the easiest way to get some votes. Um, I personally released a voter guide this week to educate my friends and family about the different propositions. I'm very understanding that, you know, some of my family members don't have the time to research the propositions. So I did that research uh, because of course I'm a college student. So I already do that um, and put something together for them. So uh, 
letting your friends and family know the easiest way. And we'll go to Manla. Yeah, I just want to be real quick. I wanted to make uh, some things uh, rather simple for, for folks who may uh, not feel equipped to uh, have those tough conversations with folks who might not be so inclined. I, I say just uh, start with the low-hanging fruit. I mean, there are so many people who are likely voters uh, in favor of Prop 16 who just don't know it's on the ballot or don't know what it is. Start with the people that you know. Uh, grab some tools. Uh, the Yes on 16 website. That's where I got this uh, particular graphic. They have other graphics. I change them up from day to day. Look, people get all in. You know, your, your background is a Prop 16 background. It's not that hard to do. Just make the commitment to do that. Have the messaging out there ahead of you uh, everywhere you go. Uh, start with your family members. Uh, start with the people that you know. If you have to kind of stretch outside of that, find your allies. You live in a diverse state of California. You know, turn to your Chicanx uh, 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 and, and Latinx friends to talk to other folks in their community. Turn to your Asian-American allies that you've worked with to talk to other folks in their community. Send them the tools. Tell them we need all hands on deck. Uh, you're an ally. This is the time to, to, to put your allyship to work, right? So so I, I say, you know, uh, work from the inside out. Start with those that you that you know. Uh, there's there's enough work to be done getting the word out to people. Uh, and if you're if you're equipped to do those tough conversations, then you know extend yourself from that center out to where you're most comfortable. But there's plenty of work uh, right close to home. Uh, and the key is to just get started. Get started with the messaging and get started getting the word out. If I can just um, also, Mandela, I appreciate that. I will also say that we talk about this around, you know, um, African Americans and and Latinx and Chicanx um, um, individuals. But remember, this benefits all underrepresented students. So in my work, for example, and we know we have support from some, uh, like Stuart Quo's group has been very supportive of uh, Proposition 16, but this also benefits um, underrepresented uh, Asian students, our Laotians, our Hmongs, our Vietnamese, our Filipino students who are growing but still under underrepresented. And I could yeah, go on and point. on. Yeah. So let's not frame this as simply women or simply African-Americans um, and our Latin American brothers and sisters. But, you know, for all of these individuals who um, by race are underrepresented and that extends to other characteristics such as income and first gen, um, there are correlations between all of this. So I just wanted to remind you about those Great other smaller underracial group, underrepresented groups. It's also important to acknowledge that post Proposition 209, procurement contracts, government procurement contracts, 2% of white women were given contracts post 209. So that's also something to share if people just want to frame it as a black issue. Thank you to Michelle Johnson, president of UCLA Black Alumni Association, for allowing me to play this important town hall on conversation piece about Proposition 16. Thank you to her co-host, Bobby Grace of the Los Angeles County DA's office, and Manla Kaise, New World Education Consultant, and other speakers, California State Assembly member, Sydney Kamlager, University Administrator Yolanda Copeland-Morgan, UCLA alum and Oakland business owner Shonda Scott, UC Riverside alum and businesswoman Keona Henderson, and current UCLA student body president 
Naomi Riley. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Nicole Johnson, Michael Washington of MWASO for the opening and closing theme song. And always you, our RGLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on RadioJustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of Conversation Peace on Radio Justice, LA Morning Wake Up Call with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.